All right. So as uh, as I guess more and more people are are trickling in on this very warm, hot um, Sunday, we are going to go ahead and get started. Um, I guess this is the official time to start. <laughs> um, normally, uh, I think in the past we've usually started. Um, a few minutes after this time, but I think this is the official Sunday school time. So we'll go ahead and start a little early just so that we can um, cover some of the, we have quite a bit of material left and um, that we didn't get to last week. And so we wanna definitely cover that and plus uh, kind of wrap everything up um, as best we can. Um, so uh, last week we ended with um, a challenge or I gave a challenge when you end with it but I gave a challenge about screen time um, and so um, if this is starting this week for me my screen time as of like today um, according to my iPhone is that I'm 75% less than um, from last week but that's just for today if I go back and look at the last week um, average I was 25% so I didn't quite make the 50% challenge that I had suggested <laughs> um, anyone else that did the challenge care to like share how did you do I know Les Newsom didn't do well based on what he just that look <laughs> no one wants to share no one wants to give up the secret of like if you did the challenge like Okay, that's okay. There's some feedback. All right. I know that if um, one certain person was already in here, he would definitely share his um, because uh, I actually kind of forgot about the challenge initially. And then he um, screenshotted me his, his challenge and I was like, okay, yeah, that's right. I should be doing this. Um, okay. So let's just go ahead and jump into this. So um, if we go to the next slide, I think. So we're wrapping this up. This is the last week for us, okay? Um, Clay Dabbs is gonna be doing next month covering the parables. Um, and so I would highly, highly encourage that um, for you to attend to that because uh, when he's done it in the past, I think it's been a number of years, it was really good, really, really good. So we're going to resume talking about the significance of the Sabbath and prioritizing rest um, since we didn't get to finish it last week. Um, but I put up here what, we, what we've covered so far in terms of priorities, um, just for you to kind of like have something to look at uh, while you listen to me talk about um, the last um, diagnosis up there, the um, six. So last week we briefly mentioned that um, Discussing the biblical theology of the Sabbath requires more time than we actually have, um, but we can make a few pointed comments about its significance, um, at least enough to kind of get us oriented to it. But before we consider the significance of the Sabbath, uh, we need to look at why work, okay? Um, I think that's on the next slide. So why work? Why the biblical story, um, I'm not skipping that, why work? We know the biblical story here, okay? So Genesis 128, 
God created Adam and Eve and told them to get busy, fill the earth, subdue the earth, have dominion over uh, or everything in the earth. And then God puts Adam and eventually Eve in the most beautiful garden that there has ever been, the greatest of all time. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to the Smithsonian Botanical Garden. I have. It's beautiful. This was better than that. Okay? Puts them there and he tells them, hey, I want you to work it and keep it. Genesis 2.15. Uh, I can't really flesh out these ideas enough for us here, but basically what, um, what's going on is this cultural mandate to image God in all of our work and in the preservation of life. Okay? That's very significant. Um, because Adam had to do something. Eve had to do something. They were called, if you will, to do this together. And the reason why it's called this cultural mandate is because we'll f later get to, when we, when we look at the Sabbath, what are we supposed to be doing? Like, how is this supposed to be helping our culture? Because um, that's what Adam and Eve were designed to do, right? They were to cultivate, have dominion, right? Fill the earth. Okay, I'm sorry, I digress. Okay, so one way um, we are able to glorify God um, is through it, our union with Christ is in our work. Um, so, and whatever that might be, okay? So Ecclesiastes 10.9 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I don't know what to do with my hands, I'm kind of like Ricky Bobby at this moment. Um, I want to, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And also in 1 Cor uh, Colossians 3, 23, whatever you do, work heartily as uh, for the Lord and not for men. So what's Paul saying here? He's like, as a Christian, when we are working, which it is a God-given thing to do, we're to do it not for men, not for the praises, not for the, the, the pride or the reassurance seeking or the validation, but we're to do it because God has called us to do that. Work isn't evil. Work isn't a bad thing at all. It's enjoyable. It's a way that we can trans, be transformers of our culture. But more about that later um, when we talk about the Sabbath. I want you to hear me on this. Our problem isn't, isn't that we don't have enough, that we don't have enough work to do. The problem is that for many of us, what we are doing or find ourselves thinking and believing that we have to do, a lot of the times, we absolutely don't need to do it. Um, <clears throat> it's about prioritizing the things that are the right things about our work and our life rather than doing things to fill our lives and our work to distract us. I personally really hate busy work. Um, the last seven years being back in an academic setting, I've experienced a lot of busy work. Um, and the reason why I hate busy work so much is because um, it is highly, highly inefficient. If it's not tied to a specific goal or some overall objective that you're trying to learn or teach, what's the point? That's, that's my take on that. Okay, so now let's examine the resting, okay? 
Um, okay. Have you ever asked yourself this question? How come the Hebrews were to remember and keep the Sabbath? Why the fourth commandment? What's the reason for this? What's its context? Okay, this is not a rhetorical question that I'm about to ask. Did the Hebrew, how did the Hebrews live and work prior um, to the giving of the fourth commandment? 24-7. They were slaves, 24-7. They're, um, you saved me a lot, you two guys. I don't have to say all this other stuff now. That's the point, is that they worked nonstop from whatever they considered Monday to be to Sunday. There never was not a time when they weren't working or having to do something um, that was expected of them. So fast forward a little bit here. Um, and we get this context, um, or, or actually Deuteronomy uh, 5.15 and also in Exodus 12 um, at verse 40, we, we get that context, we get those clues. <clears throat> so now when we come to um, this idea that their work is oppressive, it's physical, it's hard, it's miserable, it's ongoing, it never stops. Um, anyone know how long they were? Okay, you Bible uh, seminary guys that are in here, you can't answer this. How long were the Hebrews enslaved by the Egyptians? 400 years. It's actually 430 years, but 400, because that, that's what I thought originally. I actually had to look this up. 430 years. Okay, just for reference, okay? This is going to make a lot of y'all uncomfortable, and it's not my intentions to do that, but I'm just forewarning you. The United States has been a nation for 246 years. It'll be 247 coming up very soon. Slavery in the U.S. was allowed to continue for 88 years, 6 months, and 27 days, if you're counting from the signing of the Declaration of Independence to the um, 13th um amendment that was passed by Congress um, on January 31st, 1865. So the Hebrews, as a nation of people, were slaves for 430 years. Um, that's the difference of 184 years from now, if you add like how long we've been a nation, add another 184 years to that, that's how long they've been enslaved. Now, none of us here can really fathom the level of psychological, physical, emotional, social, cultural, ecological, or spiritual effects of slavery that slavery had on the Hebrews. Damn. Many of us here certainly can't really imagine or accept the effects of our country today that slavery has had on it. And it ended 158 years four months and 25 days ago today. The Hebrews suffered imaginable hurt and wrong for 430 years. So why Exodus 20? The significance of the Sabbath is this. Um, the, to the Hebrews, it's that, that they can now rest 
from their abusers, their oppressors, from the constant fear of oppression, from the daily, weekly, monthly, yearly uh, work abuses they experienced, and from the injustices they suffered um, through generations. Okay, so a rough estimate of generations here. So assuming an average generation span of 25 to 30 years uh, means that the transgenerational effects of slavery, injustices, abuses, and oppression spanned approximately 17 generations. 17 generations. Here's an experiment for you. How many of you here can actually trace your genealogy of your family um, back to the Mayflower when it landed in 1620. Okay. Uh, what about the founding of Jamestown? Still nobody? That's roughly around the same time period. What about the signing of the Declaration of Independence? Civil War? Okay. So if a few of us, Civil War, okay, I can do that. That's five generations. Add 12 more to that. So here's the point. When they get to the fourth, so when God gives them the fourth commandment, God is saying, I want you guys to be different. I want you to rest. It's not just because I rested when I created everything, you know, after six days, I was like seven days, oh man, I gotta rest. It's not that. It's, it's more than that. It's a gift. It's a symbol. It's a sign. Probably one better than circumcision to the outward nations around um, the Hebrews in the ancient Near East that they structured their lives around Yahweh. Everywhere they went, there was a one day that they could predict everyone around them that they were going to not work. They were going to do something different. I don't really have time to go into all the significance of how the Sabbath was a visible representation to the outward nations around them, that their practices were different. Their culture was different. Um, just so just one quick thing, because I've wasted too much time, or I've spent, I've not wasted, I've spent too much time already. Sorry. The um, reason why I think that the Sabbath was a better representation to the nations around them than circumcision um, was because I think, culturally speaking, self-mutilation was a common practice in the ancient Near East. There are certainly texts, um, like 1 Kings 18 talk, talks about this, when the prophets of Baal would cut themselves, um, as was their custom. Um, there, there are certain um, other, like Babylonian texts and Canaanite texts that talk about inflicting self wounds and like are actually marking slaves and actually had laws around like what you could do and what you couldn't do whenever you were um, like pretty much marking a slave. So I, I think it was a um, custom, it was a practice that was widely accepted um, and I, I didn't do like all of the fact checking on that so if I'm wrong I'm, I'm happy to admit that I'm wrong but I think that that was pretty um, customary for, for self-mutilization. So I think that they would just look at this as like, you cut your what? Why in the world would you do that? So that's why I think the Sabbath is a better representation to the outward nations. Because no other nation in the ancient Near East practiced 
a, sabbat, a Sabbath. They just didn't. Now they had festivals where they rested or maybe they reduced their work. Um, they had periods of time that they would take off, but not tied to the religious significance of worshiping the one true king that the Hebrews did. And that's why I think it's a better representation. I also think um, that when the Hebrews heard, um, you shall take a day of rest, I really think they probably cried out in just relief. Many of you don't know this, but a while back, um, I had to take this like national exam um, in order to, once I finish my um, schooling, I can become a licensed psychologist. I failed it twice. Um, and so I had a third time, uh, which I did end up passing. But this third time was pretty significant because in that, if I had not passed, um, there would have been severe consequences for me. Uh, one of which, you know, I'd have to like wait another like a year or two years to take it again. Um, and there were some other things, I won't get into it, but I, all I can say is that for the 45 minute car ride from Tupelo back to Oxford, I, I cannot express the amount of like weight that was lifted and having to rub tears and thank God, because it was a two year process in order for me to get ready to take it a third time, because that's how long I had to wait. Now imagine, you're a Hebrew, you get this fourth commandment. Do you go, oh, man, what are we gonna do in that day? No, no, you don't do that. Okay, so that wraps up, I think, quite a bit last week. I don't have time to talk about how sleep can be a godly discipline, but it certainly is. I, I've got things that you can do that help, that would help you sleep better. Um, I, you know, hard work, working to, wait a minute, I'm sorry, I got all tongue-tied here. Uh, getting to the point to where we can learn to rest is hard work. Whenever we go on vacation is a known thing that, um, at least for, if y'all don't know it, some people in here know it, but for us, we really know it. It takes us about 48 hours before we can decompress enough to relax and enjoy the vacation that we're on. We actually have to factor in an extra day or two to, to get to that point. And that's just to enjoy. So imagine how hard it would be if each week you need a rest and you don't rest and you grind things out and you push yourself and you push yourself and there's really no rhythm to your life, no structure, no, you just go, go, go. Eventually you're gonna fall apart you're gonna wreck yourself. And that was the whole point about this last chapter. All right. Yeah, so one of, one of the things that DeYoung talks about is the importance of having rhythms that, um, <clears throat> that we're actually, a lot of us are less busy than we think we are, um, but because our days and months and years don't really have rhythms to them, then we, um, we're never completely on and we're never totally off, he says. And so we dawdle and we piddle. Pete, that's one of Pete's new words. On Saturdays, he wants to piddle, um, which is, he actually ends up being really productive. So piddling is not bad at my house. But 
So the final diagnostic criteria that we're going to consider before we get to the one thing we must do is that we suffer more because we don't expect to suffer at all. So each week we've started out with a quick check-in and we've rated our busyness on a scale of one to five every week. I wonder um, if any of you, as we've done that, have thought if you're engaging with the class, then your number should go down. Has anybody thought that? Maybe had that expectation, like, well, I'm still saying four. I'm here every week and still saying four. Um, some of that is a reflection of our expectations about what busyness should look like. Hey, MK, I didn't see you come in. Um, so we, when we aren't intentional, when we don't examine our expectations, when we don't examine our motivations, when we're not intentional about how we think about our time and our schedule, we are far more prone to be anxious, irritable, resentful, uh, impatient, um, without a practiced dependence on God, a surrendering. Uh, we turn in on ourselves and we use our time and our schedule and our, our doings as a way to seek some kind of self-justification um, or self-reassurance or avoid some sense of emptiness, which we're all frankly pretty terrified of. So without that surrendering, without examining our expectations and being clear, having rhythms that place us in a, a, a stance of dependence on God, then we just turn in on ourselves and work gets distorted and busyness gets distorted really, really fast. So we know that we are image bearers of God and as such, we, um, we are creative, uh, we have ambition, um, we like to bring things into order, we like to create order, um, and we like to love other people, hopefully. We all love to be in relationship with people. And so, um, and there are lots of biblical instructions about being busy. Proverbs 6 tells us to consider the ways of the ant. Have you ever considered an ant? <laughs> Only when it's biting me, consider that little sucker. Um, that the ant labors carefully, and we should consider that. We could, should be intentional. Um, Matthew 25 is the parable of the talents. Are you teaching on that one, Clay? Do you know? No, the parable of the talents. Um, sorry, I caught you off guard. <laughs> um, so the master gives, you know, each of the, his workers a, a, a distribution of, of talents, money. And so um, the, he rewards the ones who invested, um, that spent their energy stewarding and growing what they'd been given. And then he rebuked the worker who, out of fear, um, hold away what he'd been given. And the master actually called him slothful and wicked. Um, and in 1 Thessalonians, we're called to be witnesses, spend our time witnessing. We're called to work with our hands. And we could go on and on and on looking at scriptural references to our work and our calling and our busyness, right? So this is what DeYoung says. Uh, yep, there it is. He says it's possible to live your days working hard, serving and loving others with dependence on God that doesn't leave us feeling stressed out, time poor, doesn't leave you at a four or five, overwhelmed, anxious, just like it's possible to feel terribly stressed out 
and busy while accomplishing very little. Ooh, that reminds me of a a stretch of time I spent in my own therapy, um, learning how to rest without feeling guilty. Does anybody identify with that one? I would lay on the couch and feel guilty all the time. Um, So the antidote to busyness of the soul is not sloth and indifference. The antidote is rest, rhythm, death to pride, acceptance of our own finitude, and trust in the providence of God. The busyness that's bad is not the busyness of work, but the busyness that works hard at the wrong things. Each of y'all have picked up on that as we've been going along, that what we're really considering is our hearts, our thoughts, our beliefs, our motivations, not so much our schedule. You will naturally consider your schedule when you look at it from that perspective. But like trying to control people um, or please people, which is kind of the same thing, um, or do things that we haven't been called to do, those are the things that we can get hard at working at that are the wrong things when we don't consider what our expectations are. If we have an expectation that we can avoid suffering, we're going to be disappointed. So let's look at these slides. And Pete may have to help me here because this is totally from him. He is so smart. Um, Let's look at this first little uh, math problem here. It's a word problem we have. Maybe Ginger should recuse herself. (laughs) It's not hard. Okay, so here you go. Bill has four children and 20 toys. If each child gets an equal number of toys, how many should each child get? Five toys. Okay, let's look at the next one. A bat and a ball cost $1.10. If you've heard this before, don't answer. The bat costs a dollar more than the ball. How much does the ball cost? That's what I said. I said 10 cents. But that is not the right answer. It's a nickel. (laughs) Mary Catherine's like. (laughs) If if the bat is a dollar more, naturally the ball has to be a nickel. You got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. It takes a minute. Discuss over lunch. We make quick decisions, don't we? So the first one, each kid gets five toys. That's quick. Easy peasy, we know math. The second one requires a little bit more processing. And we tend to expect that our initial reaction is the correct one. I had to be persuaded to understand why the ball was five cents. Pete had to explain it to me. One of the reasons we struggle it, with our, our busyness and our work is because of the quick decisions that we make that we're probably not even aware that we're making um, about our work and our time, and they become inflexible expectations with our work. We believe that we should not suffer. So what do you expect when you consider your time? Uh, or what assumptions do you make about how busy you should be? Would anybody answer that and think, oh, I totally expect this. It's just going to be really hard all the time. I mean, you might, depending on what you're going through right now or have been through. But day in, day out, we have a tendency for that automatic belief that maybe we're not even aware that we have. Um, Day in, day out is that we can avoid suffering. If we're honest, we probably think that if we're doing the right things with our time and our energy, then, then we should be able to avoid hardship or suffering if we're doing the right things. 
right? And so we shouldn't be surprised when we are really crazy busy. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Loving other people, serving the Lord, serving our family, serving other people, doing our vocational, living out our vocational calling, that sort of thing, working, parenting, it's complicated and it's messy and it's hard and it keeps us busy and people are unpredictable and God sustains us in all of that. And so we need to be drawn, we need those rhythms to be drawn outside of ourselves so that we don't distort it and try to make it mean something that it's not intended to mean for us. Does that make sense? So those are your diagnostic criteria. And now we get to the one thing, the one chapter where he talks about the one thing that we need. That's Pete. Okay. Well, Pete is not the one thing we need, but he's going to talk about it. I have caught on this kid. Okay. So just to, as I was listening to Denise, I was thinking of a couple of things that, um, that kind of hit me was that, you know, yes, I was able to reduce my overall screen time by 25% last week, which was significantly down from the prior week by like 85%. Um, couple of things happened. I just reprioritized what I was looking at. <laughs> so from, I went from, I'm not gonna tell you how many hours I was spending on TikTok the prior week, but I will tell you this week because it is significantly less. Um, it was one hour and five minutes. That's a significant decrease for PEP, okay? Um, two hours and 45 minutes went up on the, the Bible app um, because I like to, when I'm walking our little doggy Sparky, I like to listen um, and I'm working, through the, I'm working through the Bible and I'm almost done. Um, so, I, so, that, so that went up um, a lot. Um, and so that's the thing to keep in mind is that it's a reprioritizing what you find or what you place your value in and not being driven to distractions or feeling the need to fill up things in your life to the point to where you don't suffer at all or you don't have any kinds of um, things that get in your way. <laughs> um, so the one thing that we need, so here we go. I won't even look at my notes so I can speed this up. So, um, oh, now that's interesting. Uh, this passage in Luke, we know this passage very, very, like we know it so well that like as soon as I say the word Martha, you already know like, oh yeah, this is where Martha was doing all the work and Mary was like, not doing nothing. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. I had to look this up. Um, some of the customs in the ancient, um, in first century, um, were not unlike some of the customs that we have today. If, if someone was coming to your house from our church, let's say, let's say one of your elders, your shepherding elder, or Brian Sorgan Fry, or Les, or I don't know, you know, someone else, was coming to your house for dinner, what do you do? Who cleans the house? Generally, it's the, it's the female, it's the wife. I'm not saying that's right. That's not how it is at our house. But I'm just saying like that's generally what happens. And there's a lot of cultural, social stuff tied to that, okay? Um, well, they had the same thing there. So then you have this person that's breaking the traditional custom. 
I'm not advocating that we should share these things. I'm just saying, like, I just want you to see that, like, the significance of this is that Mary reprioritizing being with Jesus over doing all of the preparation and the food and getting everything set up was a huge demarcation from, like, what she should have been doing. And it broke all of the cultural expectations that her sister thought that she should be doing. But Jesus doesn't go, like, you should get back over there. Just, I, I'm giving you a heads up. I feel something, and I think you need to get back over there. No, he's like, he tells her, no, look, she's doing the right thing. She's spending time with me. The, the, the importance of this cannot go undermined. Like, you, you, you got to get this. Like, if you were to look at chapter 9 of Luke and look at all of the things that they were doing prior to this passage, you have to ask yourself, why did Luke put this passage here? Why did the Holy Spirit prompt his heart to, to put this here? And, it's, and, it's, and it comes after, after doing all this incredible amount of work for the Lord. Work for the Lord. Casting out demons. You know, feeding people. Doing all these miraculous things. And I think the point is this. You can go do all of those things. You can be as productive and as busy as you want. But at the end of the day... If it's not what God wants you to do in the sense that you've actually asked him, should I do this? What, what, what is it that you want me to do? Then, then you're really just kind of laboring to labor. And that's what I would suggest that we not do. I'm not saying we should be like, well, Lord, should I schedule this meeting with um, Clay um, to go to lunch? I mean, I, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that if your life is structured in such a way that you're spending less time with Jesus in prayer, in Bible reading, you might need to reconsider, do I have my priorities where they need to be? Am I doing the right things? Am I putting the first things first? That's the point. It's not to guilt you. It's not to shame you. I'm, Guilt and shame are good motivators initially, but over time they are horrific. They don't last. We, as soon as whatever the thing is that's causing the guilt or shame, I call that a stimulus. As soon as that's removed, we default right back to what we were doing before. So that's ineffective. I'm not suggesting that at all. What I am suggesting is this idea that if we can get to the point to where we value our time with Jesus, and I'm not saying we have to do this at 5.30 in the morning or 4.30 in the morning, I'm just saying if we spend quality time with Him, that's going to help us spend less time doing things that are not as important. That's the point. And again, that's not to guilt or shame um, as much as it's to help think for yourself, am I doing the things that I should be doing? Keystone habit, okay? This is the idea that if we develop one, if we focus our attention and effort on one single task of trying to change something in our schedule, it's gonna be hard, it's gonna be easy some days. We're gonna be like, man, this was so easy, I did such a good job, yay me. But then there's gonna be days you're gonna be like, man, this sucked. I didn't do anything like towards this task or I didn't do any improvement. Like if I were to look at my 
challenge of reducing my screen time by 50%. If I looked at the 25% that I actually did and went, man, you, you're terrible. Like you can't even, you can't even like abide by the own challenge that you gave people. Like what the heck? That would be wrong. I mean, that wouldn't necessarily be wrong, but it wouldn't be the right focus. The challenge was to see if I could do something that helped change the way that I used this. And I did. Um, so, okay. So, developing a keystone habit is saying, I want to prioritize X, and I want to do whatever I can do in prioritizing whatever X is, so that I can get to the point to where I can do this without having to think about it. It's in my schedule. I don't it, it, I don't worry about this. Little known fact about PDP here is that if you try to reach me at from 10 p.m. to say, I think it's 8 a.m., you will not get me. You can text me, it will not come through. Um, I mean, it will come through, but I won't see it. You can call me, you can email me. There are only six people, um, three of which are in this room now, um, that are able to get me between that time. If you send me an email and it comes after uh, 5 p.m. on Friday, um, I am not going to respond to that email unless it is an emergency <laughs> um, or extremely, extremely important until Monday morning at 8 a.m. I have some other things I won't give you all my secrets, but that's a prioritizing, right? That's make, and it took me a long time to get to that. Keystone habits. I had to really work and practice because it was hard not to go like, let me just open this up real quick. Or, yeah, I'm listening. It's hard. Okay, keystone habit. It takes practice, it takes effort. Don't give up. Okay, um, kind of wrapping everything up. I'm putting a nice little bow on, on it, uh, like a present. We would hope that in this book, you would find an overwhelming desire, motivation by the Holy Spirit to, to want to be with Jesus in a way that you're not currently now. And that's not to guilt anybody. I'm not, I'm not again, if, if those of you that know me know that I do not operate that way <laughs> at all. Um, but that's been the thrust. Whether that's reprioritizing some things in your life, whether that's thinking through um, how, do, how do the little six diagnoses fit, uh, whatever it is, the main thrust has been, I think, Denise would agree, that can we get to this point to where we value our relationship with Christ enough to where we're willing to sacrifice other good things to be with him like you would with a lover and I'm not quite there yet but I'm, I'm working on it yeah and I would add to that too that I think the goal of our friend Kevin's book is just to call us to attention to our heart's orientation um, when Jesus responds to Martha, he says, Mary has chosen the good portion that won't be taken away from her. 
And so the call to um, rhythms and daily devotions is not a performanceism kind of, if that's not even a word, I don't know. But, um, but that, um, that we might consider our relationship with the Lord, our time with him to be the good portion. And from that, then evaluate how we use our time and energies. And we may still be busy. So um, I've compiled a list of some questions for contemplation. And if you want it, we're not going to talk about them. If you want to take a picture of it, um, you can consider, think about it later. Those are from somewhere. I found them somewhere. My hunch would be that it's uh, Pete Scazzaro, the emotionally healthy spirituality guy. But that is a hunch. I'm not sure where I got these questions. I wrote them in my journal. So I thought it might be helpful for you. Okay, so questions and comments. Please talk. Okay. <laughs> really? Matt? Uh, did you meet your screen <laughs> Like you had to ask. So. Um, I was down like, 9%. From? I'm, I'm not telling what my <laughs> screen time is. It's not great. Yesterday I did great, though, because Harrison Scott Key, do y'all know him, has written a new book. Um, what is the title of the book? How, how to Kill Your Marriage. How to Save Your Marriage. How to, some, anyway. Um, well, the, the subtitle is that it's a story, uh, it's a book about murder. <laughs> um, so, anyway, I spent we, we have to confess, no, like the entire day reading that yesterday. So my screen time was great yesterday. Yes. Yeah, the idea of rest is not that you just go do nothing. Um, it, it is that you do you do stuff. You you do you do stuff that you find that's relaxing, refreshing. Um, I just realized that um, I didn't have time. I, I mean, I, I realized it before, but I realize it now too. That I didn't have time to go over like how to improve your sleep and how that could be a godly discipline. But there are like twelve steps that I have um, that are rooted in great scientific. Um, research. If you want those, just let me know and I can either like um, text it to you, screenshot it to you, or email it to you. Um, but yeah. That's one of those, uh, I don't, it's like a learned thing, Tim, I think, is that when I think about resting, I do those distracting kind of behavior, scroll, that's what I do. And to consider rest being involving silence and solitude, it is kind of a a different view, isn't it? We've just kind of gone away from that, I think, culturally even. Yeah. We have just a few more minutes, and by that I really mean like two. Doug. Just an observation that sometimes I think that 
Mm. Yeah, if you find yourself feeling worn out by your kids' behavior, it's good to take a step back and consider what am I doing that might contribute to my feeling so tired by them. They're just being kids, right? Yeah. Errol? Mm. Well, you've heard me talk about seculosity. I mentioned that with that. Really, really like that book. Do you have any? I really don't. I nothing didn't, nothing I comes to mind that. immediately. Yeah. Okay. okay. Any other questions, comments? You have like 45 seconds. <laughs> and I will sit here and stare at you for 45 seconds. Pray. I'm just, just kidding. Pray. Although, I mean, real quick, that is something that we actually do have to practice as therapists. If many of you may not know this, but we actually do. Where you actually sit across from one, like almost knee to knee, and you just look at them and you don't say a word. So imagine how uncomfortable that feels. Okay. <clears throat> Sitting with silence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your wonderful gifts um, to us. Um, thank you for your mercy and your grace that you so lavish on us every single day in a way that we that is far beyond whatever we could ever imagine um, or um, comprehend. And thank you so much for the love. Um, that you give each of us, please help us um, as we go forth, as we um, try to take some of the principles that are in um, the book and try to apply in our own lives. Um, Holy Spirit, may you prick our hearts and lead us into deeper relationships with you um, and also with those around us. Amen.